can use this or okay. whatever. They've got it, they've got it all rewired and reworked out there for the children. Oh, okay. <laughs> all I'm saying is if, if that doesn't get working we'll pretty do. quick, use this. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're glad that you're here. A number of folks that I've met for the first time today, some I've seen that I haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, It's amazing how the weather can bring us together, isn't it? Unexpected, unexpected events. And by the way, just FYI, we are having our worship service today. The message that went out, in case you got it on your iPhone, was just people, anybody that wasn't already on the road, we didn't want them to, to be out here, especially in the parking lot. The roads are not that bad. The parking lot is horrendous. Uh, so be very patient as we leave. We may get out early. It's kind of up in the air. <laughs> <coughs> We may get out early, so be patient, and if, if, if you brave guys will go get your vehicle and pull it up, and we'll let all the ladies and children board under the, under the canopy. Or if you ladies really want to, you can go get the vehicle. We'll let the men and the children board under the canopy. I do not want to be uh, insensitive to those, those issues these days. Uh, unexpected things do happen. They happen a lot. And, and sometimes they're really wonderful developments and sometimes they're, they're not so much. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we're unexpectedly invited to something. Uh, heard Tom Hanks talk some time ago about being invited to the White House. It was shortly after the premiere of one of his movies. He and his wife were invited had dinner at the White House. They had several guests there. But he said, in addition to just being invited to have dinner, they were invited to stay over. Didn't know the president had sleepovers, did you? Apparently he does. And he said it was, it was the most surreal feeling as the dinner party wound down and all of those invited were leaving to stand at the front door of the White House waving goodbye. <laughs> knowing you were going to stay there and sleep where presidents and kings had slept. He said it was just just amazing to have an invitation like that. Sometimes we we get invited to something that's just amazing. Sometimes we we expect to be invited to something and we're not. Maybe as as a kid you remember them choosing up sides for a game and... You weren't invited. You weren't chosen. Or maybe it's been more recently when you were looking for a promotion at work and you were passed over when someone else was invited to take that role. And it hurts. No matter whether you're a kid or grown person, it hurts not being invited. But we invite people that are, that are special. Sometimes I... I get to go to the hospital when a family has had a new baby. And it's, it's a wonderful time. They're so happy with that, that precious little child. And, and they're there and, and, and the special people in their lives are there. 
the parents, of course, and the grandparents and the brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and, and, and special friends, people that they treasure that relationship with. It, it's really neat because that's who we want with us in times like that. That's who we, we ask to come and share that kind of experience with us. What would you think if you went up to see somebody that, that you really appreciated, so to see them in the hospital with their new baby, and you go in, and, and instead of the people you would expect to be there, instead you found there was the, their mailman was there, and the cab driver that drove them up to the hospital was there, and the, the, the young man that, that waits on him at the local fast food place from behind the counter, he was there. What would you think? I mean, we'd scratch our heads and we'd go, what, what, what's going on? What's the deal here? What, what, what is this all about? Why are these people here instead of the other people here that I would have expected to see? And that's sort of what the situation was like when the birth of God's son came into the world. Because the people we would have expected to be there weren't there. And and the people we would never have dreamed of, they were the ones that not only showed up, but they were given a special invitation to come. We read about that in Luke chapter 2. It's one of the places we read about it. Uh, Beginning of verse 6, Mary and Joseph have gone to Bethlehem for the the census. Verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy, that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, it was an amazing thing to hear. And I'm sure as I've always thought when I read that, I'm sure that's what was so amazing that this would have happened. But part of what was amazing, when you read that last statement there, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Because of all the people 
you would have expected to give this news, to be the bearers of these glad tidings. Shepherds were just about last on the list. I mean, we have an image of shepherds, this first group that was invited to come to the birth of Jesus. We have an image of shepherds that's a little different than what they had in the first century. In the context of the Christmas story, the thought of shepherds tending their flocks provides this wonderful, gentle, pastoral imagery. There's these gentle sheep and their fluffy little lambs out at the hillside, you know. And there's, there, there are these, these kind, caring, ever-vigilant shepherds that are watching over them, making sure no harm comes to them. And, and they're out under this twinkling, starry sky, out on the the rolling green hills of the countryside, and it's just this idyllic setting. We have come to accept the biblical image of the shepherd as one of care and kindness and and protection. It is an image that's, that's used by the prophets and the priests to portray their most godly leaders among the nation of Israel. It's a wonderful, wonderful image. But in the world of the first century, the real attitude toward the flesh and blood shepherds, the real people, was very different from what we find presented in biblical and other literature. This dual, very conflicting image, this view of shepherds, was probably a lot like our impression of the the cowboy in our culture today. You see, when you, when you say something about a cowboy, our thoughts, some of us, many of us maybe, our thoughts turn back to that, that rugged guy out of the old west that, that was out there facing the harsh elements, dealing with whatever life, I mean, whatever nature would throw at him, the storms, the, 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 the difficult times, the, the being alone and going it on his own and, and standing up for right and, and, and taking care of the herd and, and the family and, and doing all of this stuff. And we, we come by that image honestly. It's... It's uh, steeped in the, the folklore of the Old West. And it's magnified by the image that we see in uh, television shows and movies that are Westerns. But today, if, you were, if we're talking about a real live cowboy, I'm not talking about, about a guy that wears a cowboy hat and boots and listens to country music, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about a real cowboy. We're talking about somebody that is typically often kind of a loner. The guy that works the cattle as a hired hand out on a ranch. Is somebody's willing to work either by himself or with just a few other people sitting on a horse all day, uh, doing some very routine and probably pretty boring tasks. Because by doing that, he can kind of avoid the world where he has to conform to the standards and the expectations of the larger society. And, And the general image of 
of the guys that do that today are somewhat unmotivated, a little bit of antisocial, maverick kind of people, maybe not of tremendous ability and, and normally not the best character, who live primarily for themselves, for the present, and have been known to you know, take the better part of a paycheck and spend it clubbing over the weekend in a place that they just might get into a fight of some kind. Kind of, kind of the image that, that prompted the, the old country song, Mamas, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Don't let them pick guitars and drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and stuff, such. Cowboys are, are not the, they're just not right at the pinnacle uh, of, of our respect and admiration. Not the real ones in today's world. <clears throat> now, when you go back to the first century, it, it's the same kind of incongruity between that, that image that we get from the movies and from literature in the past. And you compare it with the real life of that day. Shepherds were not these great people. They, they really weren't. Uh, the poetic imagery of the shepherd found in the Psalms and the prophets and other literature is a, is a very positive one. But the real shepherds of that day, not so much. They weren't terribly respected. They, they weren't looked up to or honored. And uh, the, the, they were generally kind of looked down on, excluded by your, by your typical Jewish person. <clears throat> Largely because they had a reputation for lawlessness and dishonesty. That's kind of why people would take that kind of a role. Uh, they, they were a pretty rowdy bunch overall. Because they usually worked alone out with the flock, they didn't have to, they didn't have to answer to a lot of people. It was real easy to sell off a lamb and then tell the owner of the flock that an animal had carried them off. And it wasn't just that they were kind of distasteful and from society's view, from a religious point of view, it was even worse. I mean, sheep have to be taken care of 24-7. And if you're a shepherd, you're generally going to be working on the Sabbath, which didn't go over well with the religious people, especially the, the strictly observant Jews. They didn't, they didn't like that. That that's just wasn't honoring what God called them to do. Not only that, to care for the flock the way they had to, they would, they would be constantly looking through the wool of the sheep for bugs, pulling them out, killing them, or taking them out of, from around their eyes. That wasn't that very appetizing. But, and, and so as they killed a living thing, they were in contact with death, which made them ceremonially unclean, which means they virtually never were allowed to participate in the feasts or celebrations. The Jewish people, those religious observances they had. Society didn't think much of them. Religious people didn't think much of them. Economically, if you were a shepherd, you were at one of the lower rungs of the, of the economic ladder. It just wasn't a whole lot to look up to shepherds about. Now, if you were inviting someone 
to the birth of the Son of God, would they be at the top of your list? Well, they were at God's list. God not only told them first, he put on this most amazing display of glory right before their eyes. Filled the sky. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine hearing that? Well, they did. The shepherds. Doesn't make sense to us. But then you read Matthew's account. We won't take time to read that this morning. You read Matthew's account of the birth story, and he focuses on a a very different aspect of the story. He doesn't bother with any crummy shepherds. He goes to the opposite end of the social spectrum. And he focuses on the elite. Matthew tunes in to the magi who have come to see Jesus. You know, the people we talk about as the, the wise men or the three kings from the Orient is the old song that we hear this time of year talks about. Either way, it's an image of people from a far off land in an exotic way that come to listen to what's going on and see what God has done. It's a picture of wealth and honor as they bring gifts to this child and they bow down and worship Jesus. Now that's the way to tell this story, isn't it? That, that's what we need to be hearing about. The kings themselves bowing down, bringing gifts. That's more like it. Luke needs to take a couple of pointers from Matthew here telling this story of the birth of Jesus, don't you think? Until we understand who the magi really were. Because when we do, we get a totally different impression of what was going on here. You see, the magi were the counselors, the wise men who advised kings and nobles on affairs of state. And and they did so based on their knowledge and their experience with astrology, okay? Reading the stars and the planets and how they align and what that said. Because the, the, the astrology is the study of the stars and the planets with a view, with a belief that they will determine and they will predict, if we can read them right, they will predict exactly what's going to happen. That's why they were looking for the star. Because that's what they were all about. Now, most of us don't know a whole lot about astrology today. It's probably limited to what we read on the web or in the newspaper, or maybe we've bought some little trinket that's a sign from the zodiac or something like that. Or we listen with curiosity when somebody talks about this kind of stuff. But we basically just kind of assign it to a harmless sort of a superstition that we're not all that worried about. We have only a vague awareness of of what it really is. But the truth is it's it's really not harmless at all in its more significant forms. In ancient times, it was almost always accompanied by the worship of the stars and the planets. Of course, that was a long time ago. And so we're tempted to think that's really, nobody gets really into that the same way anymore. 
truth is that's not the case, unfortunately. Several years ago, we had the advent of a comet that came by. It was called the Hale-Bopp Comet. Remember hearing about that? Doesn't come by very often. It had been about 4,200 years since it had been by, by the earth where we could see it the last time. But it, it came, it, it came by, and, and because it was so rare, the, the media, the, the news outlets, kind of, it was a novelty that they sort of had a heyday with it. Not everybody treated it as a novelty. There was a group out in California called the Heaven's Gate, led by a man named Herf Applewhite, who took it really, really seriously. He interpreted this as a sign from the heavens that they would be taken to a higher state of existence. And an article on their website said the comet was the, quote, marker we have been waiting for, the time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to their world. And the 39 followers of that cult, ranging in ages from 26 to 72, they left this earth. All right, but it wasn't on a spaceship or a comet. It was through a lethal dose of phenobarbital and vodka with a little bit of suffocation thrown in just to ensure that they all committed suicide. This isn't something that just results from a harmless superstition, folks. God's never permitted anyone who wanted to follow his will to embrace astrology, astrological enterprises. In fact, in the law of Moses, they're commanded to kill people that do that. I don't think God gives the death penalty for something he's not serious about being a bad thing. So the appearance of the Magi in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth is absolutely shocking. What in the world are they doing here? I mean, by race, they were Gentiles. No self-respecting Jew is going to have anything to do with Gentiles. And by profession, they were astrologers, which the law of Moses said deserved capital punishment. So what at first seems to be an improvement on Luke's rather distasteful shepherds, suddenly we realize is even more distasteful than the shepherds of Luke's gospel. It's clear that God wouldn't want to have anything to do with either one of those people, right? Only he did. He not only accepted them and their praise at Jesus' birth, he gave each of them a special invitation to come a celestial invitation. The angels were in the heavens and the star was in the heavens as well. That just doesn't seem right, does it? A group of lowlifes and some people that are about as anti-worshiping God as you can imagine? The question is why? Why would God choose these people to be the special guests at the most amazing event the world had ever seen. It seems so very strange to our way of thinking. But I think 
that is precisely what God intended to do. You see, in doing this with these two groups, God was showing us a picture of the purpose of the incarnation. Jesus didn't come to hobnob with the spiritual elite or the rich and the famous. But he came to bring sinners to a Savior. Those who invited personally to participate in the event demonstrate clearly that he did this for all people. And there's no barrier in the world keep us from being invited to come and receive him and worship him. So many times people who need God and deep down really want to belong to God. They listen to these voices. Sometimes they hear it from other people. Sometimes they hear it in their own minds. These voices saying, you don't really think God would want you, do you? You don't really think, you don't really think God would accept you, do you? And they think, God wouldn't want me because, man, my life's a wreck right now. God wouldn't want me. I, I, I can't even hold down a job. Can't even find one. God wouldn't want me. I, I keep it hidden from everybody else, but man, this substance problem is getting out of hand. Or this porn habit is really growing. God wouldn't want me because you fill in the blank. The truth is, God wants exactly someone like you. The message of the incarnation is that God knew exactly who the shepherds are. God knew exactly who the magi were. And he invited them anyway. Not just anyway, he invited them especially. And God knew what you would become before you were ever born. And he invited you to be his child, to worship the King of Kings. That's clearly explained in the beginning of John's gospel. In John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, in, in Luke's story, he tells us that the lowest sinners among the people of God are welcome to Jesus. Matthew tells us that even the abject pagans are welcome to receive Jesus. And John tells us that wonder of wonders, you're invited to receive Jesus as well. Richard Armstrong had fallen hopelessly in love with a lady who lived next door to him. They dated very seriously for about a year. And then 
they had a falling out argument, some silly argument that started it. They wound up breaking up. But after that happened, he realized how hopelessly he was in love with her. He began because he loved her so much and yet because he was painfully shy and lacking in self-confidence. He began writing her letters, love letters. Every week he would write her a letter and go and slip it under her door for her to read. For over 40 years, he wrote her a letter every week and he never got a written or a personal response. After writing her 2,184 love letters, this man whose heart would not let him give up finally mustered up the courage to go knock on her door. And when she answered, he asked her to marry him. And to his surprise and delight, she said yes. And at age 74, they were married. Imagine God's dilemma. Time and again, he tried to get his message of love through to human creation with little response. And finally, he wrapped that message in a person and he delivered it to earth. And he invited some shepherds to come and some magi to come. And he has invited you to come question is, what will we say? Let's pray together. Father,